We're going to turn to God's Word now. We're going to find that in Jeremiah chapter 29. Alistair is going to read that for us. Um, I'm hoping his page number is the same, roughly. Page 789. Page 789. Uh, The Bible series that we are continuing to look at is this idea of grace works. Grace works in our lives. There are certain characteristics that it should evidence in our lives. And today we're just reflecting then upon what what it means to find our purpose in God and what better passage than where Alistair's going to read for us. Let's hear God's word. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Amen. And for those of us who are staying in, if you turn to your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, And this passage, which is about finding uh, our purpose, and perhaps we'll just pause in prayer as we come to hear from God's word. Let's, Let's pray. Lord, we come as people who are eager to hear your truth and to know, Lord, that you are able to speak to each one of us. Make questions arise in our hearts and minds. We are dependent upon your truth, dependent upon the power of your Holy Spirit to enliven your word so that it touches our hearts. So, Lord, we pray that we might leave ourselves and what might detract and what might distract us from hearing your word and your truth. So, Lord, in the power of your Spirit, speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking about uh, purpose, inevitably, I, I would imagine we begin to think about what or how to find God's will for our lives becomes immediately obvious. I remember a little while ago, being in a bookshop and 
finding a book about finding God's will, leafing through that, and finding that the, the author was describing the, the characteristics of different generations. Uh, the generation in which he placed me, uh, obviously by my, by my age, uh, was in the 30 to 55-year-old age brackets, and the descriptor that he put for those people were that we are the generation of tinkerers. So that the generation before me boomed, the generation before that built, but my generation, the 30 to 55-year-olds, tinkered with stuff. Now, before you dismiss any of that, I'm going to say this. Anyone who can put me in the same bracket as someone who's 30 can't be all bad. So I think that there must be something that is good in what he was going to say. But there are some positive things about being a tinkerer. Tinkerers are good at analyzing stuff. They can pull things apart. They can dissect. They can see what's going on. They also apparently have the ability to co collaborate and to bring lots of people together with the aim of getting something done. But the negative aspect of tinkering is that tinkerers are indecisive. Tinkerers are full of indecision. They are full of contradictions. And beyond everything else, they are unstable. So people in my generation tinker with life, they tinker with church, they tinker with doctrine, they tinker with their jobs, they tinker with their relationships. So we're not consistent, we're not stable, we don't stick with anything, and above all, we're not sure that we actually ever make the right decisions. And when we make a, right, when we make a decision, we're never quite sure actually that it is the right decision in the end. And I would guess that you all struggle at times with making any sort of decision, whether that's a big decision or whether that's a small decision. And the Bible is able to speak into that. The Bible guides us in all of life. And so we believe that the Bible is able to address even issues like this. But the Bible does that in a general sort of a way. I mean, what I mean by that is that you're not going to find out by reading the Bible whether you should be a dog groomer or a dog walker. So that's what the Bible will give you is a much more general sense so that the Bible will be enabling you to make wise decisions that are in keeping with God's will and God's purposes for the world. You see, I think one of our biggest problems is that we are sinners. And the problem with being a sinful person is that sin twists us in upon ourselves so that we only ever really, at least primarily, we think about ourselves. We think, how will this affect me? Will this be good for me? Will this make my life comfortable? So we're driven by our own felt needs. And practically, you and I both believe that the world revolves around each of us, that we are the most important thing in the universe. Whether we articulate that, that's practically what we believe. But what the Bible does, when the Bible 
speaks to us is that the Bible attempts to draw us back into shape because we are out of shape, we're focused in upon ourselves, and the Bible then will begin to get us to ask a different set of questions. Because the questions that we normally ask when we're faced with a decision that needs to be made is something along the, the lines of when we're trying to work out our own purpose. The questions that we normally would ask are things like, how will this affect me? Will this enable me to get more joy, more comfort and less pain? Will this enable me to feel good about myself? Will this be a positive thing for my self-esteem? But the Bible says those aren't the right questions to ask because what we're concerned about is not simply you, but we're concerned about God and where this fits in God's bigger picture. So the questions that we really should ask when it comes to thinking about what we should do in any situation is, where does this fit in with God's plans? Will this bring more glory to God if I do this? What will actually please God more? Those are the questions that we should begin to ask when we're thinking about where we find our purpose. So I'm going to invite you now to turn with me to Jeremiah 29. I think this passage is very well suited when it's thinking about plans and its purposes and what God is wanting to do in the lives of his people and thereby also with you. And normally when we turn to a Bible passage, we find that God is warning his people about something bad that may happen. But in this situation, the worst has already happened in that the people of Israel, if I give a little bit of background, have already been taken, or at least the first wave of the Israelites have been removed from Jerusalem and they've been taken away into Babylon. So this is the first time that King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem and he took away a crowd of people to live in Babylon. You will know the names of some of them, You may not think you do, but you'll know the names of four people. You will know Daniel. You will know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these are some of the people that Jeremiah is now speaking to. These are the ones he's beginning to address. These people who are living in a place far from home, they're very uncertain, they're wondering about their purpose, and Jeremiah is bringing God's word of comfort to them to help them find their new sense of purpose. So that's why I believe this passage is very well suited to enable us when we are questioning what's my purpose in life and what should I be doing. And what the Bible is really trying to get you to do above everything else is to look beyond your own nose. Because normally we only think about ourselves, how it affects me, but the Bible is trying to shift your perspective so that you're thinking beyond yourself and you're thinking to the glory of God. So these words of Jeremiah, they are challenging words. They were challenging to the people of Israel who were now living in captivity away in Babylon in a situation they didn't want. There was plenty that was hard. There was plenty that was horrible. And these words of Jeremiah were not easy to accept because they were very challenging. It caused them to think in a completely different way because ultimately they were living in the enemy, with the enemy. And Jeremiah was trying to give them a new perspective, which was radical. 
And so as I try to bring some points that might help us to understand what this passage is about, the first thing I think that we might see that Jeremiah is trying to say to these people is that, okay, my first piece of advice is face up to what's really happening. It's not pleasant, it's not easy, but you've got to face up to that with a sense of courage. You've got to be real about what is really happening in your situation. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you looked a chapter earlier, chapter 28, you'll see that it's headed about the false prophet Hananiah. And what Hananiah was doing is that he was spreading lies. And he was saying, this is what God says, but it wasn't what God was saying. It was simply what he was saying. And what he was saying was this, guys, you don't need to worry. We're stuck in this foreign land, but it's not going to last forever. Actually, it's only going to last two years. This is nothing more than a blip. And when, this, when these two years are over, we're heading back, we're heading home, and it's going to be great. There's going to be nothing to worry. So let's not get uptight where we are now. Let's not make any plans because in two years, we're out of here. We're going back home and it's all going to be sweet. And what Jeremiah says is that's a lot of nonsense because that ship has sailed and you are going to be where you are for the foreseeable future. This is not going to end easily or quickly and you've got to realise that. So stop listening to lies. Stop listening to things that are just easier to listen to, that are nice and sweet and comforting. Face up to the painful reality and the hard things that are actually happening in your life. This is not going to be over speedily. And so if you cast your eye down to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 29, Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. There's no point listening to pleasant things just because you would rather listen to pleasant things. There's no point running away from hard truths. You've got to face up to this situation and you've got to realize that this is what God is now doing in your life and you need to face it with courage. It's not simply going to be over in two years. You're going to be there. So you've got to do something while you're there. And the first sense of hope comes in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good purpose to bring you back to this place. And the good purpose, the good hope that is here isn't simply in, in a definite number of years where it's going to end, but more so even in the fact that God says, I will come for you. And a reminder that God is still at work. So if you like what Jeremiah is saying to the people in exile is you've got to embrace the loss, the hard things, 
face up to it. There's no point pretending it's any different. And once you're able to accept the loss, then after that, the joy of life will come. And that's the way the Bible so often talks about our experience of life. When we're able to accept the loss, the difficulties, the hardship, then afterwards the joy of life will come. For the exiles, it will be hard for a while. You're going to have to be real about that, but it will end. And God still has purposes in your life. We see it in the New Testament that that loss may be experienced in Good Friday when Jesus died and the disciples had to see that Jesus died. But on Easter Sunday, we've got the sense there's the life. And once we accept and embrace the loss, comes the life. And in many ways, that's always what it's like when anyone becomes a Christian. You have to embrace the loss of the old life, as it were. To give up on that, you will lose some things, but what Jesus is offering you is so much better. And once we're able to embrace the loss and what's behind us, we can experience the real joy of what Jesus is offering. So what we need to do is to realize is that even in this, in my difficulties now, I need to understand that as hard as it is, and even though I think I've got some degree of control over my life, I don't really. And then once I can embrace that, I can see that what Jesus is offering me is so much more. So when I accept the loss, I can find this new life in Jesus. And perhaps that's a step that you need to make. That you need to say, I do need to become a Christian. And what I've been holding back, the reason that I've been holding back is because I, I, I've, I had this sense that I was in control of my life and I wasn't prepared to give that up. But what Jeremiah is writing to these people, you need to accept the loss and then to embrace the life that Jesus is now offering you because it is so much better. And you can widen that out to any aspect of life. That you need to face up to the losses and what God is doing in your life. And when you're able to accept that with courage, you can see that God is opening up in you and an exciting and something that is wonderful that God is doing. And what you need to do is simply to get on with following God where he has placed you. It may not be perfect. It may not be easy. Jeremiah wasn't pretending to the people in exile that everything was sweet. He was saying it is hard. You're in a difficult place. You're far from home. Nothing would be as you would want it to be, but you have to face up to that with courage. And then he says, well, let's try and move on. And what he actually says, in effect, is to seek the prosperity of the city. And what that means is simply get on with honoring God where you are because you know that God is at work and he's placed you where you happen to be. And yet this was the scandalous part for these people. Because you have to remember, where were they? They were living in Babylon. Who were they? They were the ruthless enemy. The people who had killed some of their, their own countrymen. People who had removed them from their homes, taken them from everything that they owned, from all their relationships, and plunked them thousands of miles away 
in a place where they were uncomfortable, where they didn't want to be. And Jeremiah now says, well, you've got to get on. Accept where God has placed you and work for the good of that place where God has set you because you need to know that God is still at work where you are. And if that doesn't speak to us, I don't know what, is, what will. Because in our lives, nothing is perfect. There will be many things that we don't like. There will be many situations that we would rather that they were different from what they are. But what we've got to understand from reading from Jeremiah here is that God is still at work, that God is still doing something, and your gospel challenge is to accept where you are, to realize that your future is so inexplicably bound up with the purposes of the nations around us that you will not prosper unless it prospers It will not prosper unless you prosper, and so you need to work where you are, and that is your God-given challenge, to work for the good of where God has placed you. And yet to do that in a way that you know that you are building the kingdom of God within the kingdom of the devil. So the world outside may have a completely different set of values, They may be focused in upon themselves and thinking of themselves, but you are called to live in a way that benefits everyone. But to do that pointing to the saving faith, to the saving experience of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and the reason that you are different is because you love Jesus and that ultimately you are working for the kingdom of God. And when Jeremiah calls the people here to seek the prosperity of the nation, to pray for the good of the nation, so we need to follow that. And we can pray for the prosperity of our nation. We can pray for the safety and the security of our nation. We can pray specifically for those who are involved in making sure that that we we are safe and for those who put their own lives in danger to keep us safe. We can pray for the people of our nation in general, for all different ethnic backgrounds and for all age groups, for all who who make up our land, we can pray that they will know and love Jesus. We can pray that God would impact these people. And perhaps if I try and put all of this together, I think where this ultimately points me to is a reminder that you will only find your own individual purpose insofar as you can align yourself with the bigger or the wider purposes of God. In other words, stop thinking only about yourself, but think where does this fit in with what God is really doing. Even in the midst of the exile, these people weren't happy, but God was still doing something. Things weren't perfect, but God was still at work. And that is the same for us. Our lives, our experiences are far from easy at times. And yet the challenge here from Jeremiah is to see how your purpose aligns with the wider purposes of God. Do you remember that book we all read as a church a number of years ago? The Purpose Driven Life. And you'll remember that in that book, the first lesson of the book, it was probably on page one of that book. And the big lesson of that, which really 
was the direction for the entire book. But the first lesson was this. What you have to learn is that it's not about you. And if it's not about you, who is it about? It's about God. So you will only find your purpose in life insofar as you fit in with what God is doing in your wider life and in what's happening in and around you. And I think that's the big lesson for finding your purpose and what means for us and how the grace of God is working in our lives. So be a part of what God is doing. And what that then will mean you doing is that you need to look around and you need to see where God is working, where God is moving, what God is doing. And when you have a sense of that, then you should say to yourself, I want to be part of that. And I want to be involved with that. So you need to look around you and to sense where you see the Spirit of God at work, where you see him pushing, prodding, where you see him moving people, doing things. It could be at work. Maybe you see a relationship that you've managed to get with someone and you can see questions beginning to arise in someone's mind. They're more open about talking about faith and what faith means to you. You can see what God is doing and you know that you should be in the middle of that rather than running away from it. That's God speaking to you. I think a lot of it will also find its answer in this church because what you need to do is to look around this place and, have a, and ask yourself a question, is God at work here? Where exactly is God at work here? And when you find out what you think that is for you, then you need to be in the middle of that and you need to step into that. So I'm going to encourage you to look around you and to ask where God is at work and to ensure that you are stepping into the middle of that. Now the context for the people of Israel who have been carried away into captivity is that it remained difficult. And yet this challenge about finding God in a new way. For them, it meant even worshipping in a way that they were not familiar with. Beforehand, when they were in, in Israel, their worship centred around the temple. That's where you went to. You wanted to meet God, you went to the temple. You wanted to offer a sacrifice, you went to the temple. You wanted to meet uh, God's people, you went to the temple. But where are they now? They're stuck in Babylon. They didn't know what to do. So God was now having to challenge them even to worship and to encounter him in a different way. And they did that. Look at God's challenge to them in verses 12 and 13. It says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. They wouldn't have wanted to have been in a foreign land. Remember, 
Psalm 136, am I right? How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That was penned by the Kibar River. And the question in the minds of the Israelites as they were in Babylon is how can we worship God when we're no longer in Israel? We're no longer near the temple. How can we encounter God? Well, God is still saying, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. They wouldn't have wanted it, but God did a new thing among them. And so this passage ends with hope. Down in verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. And that is what happens when God's people face up with courage to where they are. Look around them to see what God is doing, to see the wider purposes of God and saying, I want to be part of what God is doing because this is what God is calling me to, and that is where I will find my purpose, because my purpose is in the wider purposes of God. Let's pray. Father, as you take your word, may your words lie heavy upon our hearts and that you would work your word into our hearts so that we cannot ignore or forget or overlook what you are saying and where it challenges us. Lord, give us the grace to do what you are challenging us to do, to step out in faith, to trust you, to go with you, not to be afraid, but above all, Lord, to trust you because you are good. And may we give ourselves completely, fully to you, finding our purpose within your purposes. Amen.